Hey there. Once again, it seems like we've had uh, some gremlins getting into this recording, and while we've tried to clean them up, uh, once again, they uh, pop up from time to time. So uh, apologies for that, and hope you still enjoy the show. back to License to Spiel. I'm Carl Wonders. And I'm Thad Haight. Today, we're going to find out whether it is true that nobody does it better. Why do you have to be so good? I don't know. <laughs> but why the hell is there like a USO rendition of the song at the end? Nobody does it better. Makes me feel sad for the rest. Nobody does it half as good as you, baby. Because Marvin Hamlish and he likes show tunes, I guess. We have things to say about Marvin Hamlish, I think. Uh, this. <laughs> Off the bat, I will say that yes, I have. I will always find things to complain about in every movie I ever watch. But compared to the last several movies, oh man, it was good to watch a good movie again. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've, I've I've said that I have issues with this movie, and I. I still have issues with this movie, more so than some people, I think. But it's not going to sound that way just because, oh, this is head and shoulders above anything we've watched probably since, I would say, Honor Majesty's Secret Service or even before that for yeah. people who don't like that movie very much. Yeah. And it's, I would say, possibly because we no longer have Tom Mankiewicz around. Maybe that helps a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'd hate to dump all of the problems of the last, what, three films uh, at the feet of Tom Mankiewicz, but... You know, he's no longer writing these movies, and all of a sudden, we're pretty much back to where things could have been a long time ago. I mean, you could you could also say it's Saltzman's fault. Yeah, I don't I I don't know honestly. Uh, I mean, it's coincidental, or maybe it isn't, um, that Harry Saltzman was forced to sell his share of the James Bond rights back to Universal after the making of The Man with the Golden Gun, and this is the first film that is only a cubby broccoli production uh going forward and i think that'll that sticks true until i think broccoli died after the i think live or license to kill i think i think I was think his so, last yes. film yeah yeah so so the spy who loved me um it was released in 1977 so we actually had a three-year hiatus in between films partly because of the saltzman uh thing going on um it was co-written by Richard Maybaum who again is around he's his name is on on pretty much all of these movies practically uh -huh. um, and a guy by the name of Christopher Wood who was a novelist I believe uh, written a whole bunch of books uh, he came in to do a rewrite of this script he would then go on to be the solo writer who's credited for Moonraker uh, those are the only two of his films uh, Lewis Gilbert comes back to direct he did uh, uh, he did uh, You Only Live Twice, and he will also do Moonraker next week. Um, interestingly, I, I know you're still reading the books. I don't think you've gotten to this one. It's fairly down the road. No, here. I haven't. I'm still actually in, on Moonraker because I took a break to read another book. So, interesting thing about this book, uh, it's completely different from any other book in the series. Um, James Bond turns up 
in the last third of the book. It's a very short book, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's primarily written from the first-person perspective of a female uh, character who has various run-ins with um, certain gangster-type individuals. It's not a great book. Uh, Ian Fleming did not care for it. He, when it didn't sell very well, part of his deal when he sold the rights to the Bond series was you can use the title, but you can't use any of the plot. Mm. So, you know, they had this title. They couldn't do anything with the story, although there is a character named, I believe the character's name is Horror in the book, and he's very similar to Jaws in that he has steel cap teeth. Uh, so they kind of took that. I feel like they must have taken that from them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so, too coincidental. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying they think that's the only thing they really poured it over. Right. Uh, from from the the book, um, the character's name is Vivian Michelle. She doesn't. Her name's never been used in anything uh, film wise. Uh, so, again, basically, here's a title. Write a completely clean slate. You have a complete slate to to do whatever you want to do with the story, and this is the story they came up with. So. Is this the first time they've done a completely yet? Because even in um, Live and Let Die, it was they took they did borrow from it, even if they completely changed most of it. Yeah, I think um, the man with the golden gun, at least Francisco Scaramanga, is the character in the book, and and so there's character names being taken. Um, you only live twice is quite different, other than. Blofeld is in the book, and it's in Japan. Uh, that's about the only similarities you have to that story. Uh-huh. So I think, you know, this, this, uh, yeah, so you only live twice. Um, this live and let die to an extent. I mean, you have Mr. Big, who's the main character, the main heavy in the book. Right. Um, and Mr. Big has a lot of, does have some similarities. Like, you, it's still... Bond still has to go to Harlem and etc. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some, there are definitely some things that were copied over. Right. Yeah, and then you know you have, you have the Spy Who Loved Me, which is a, I mean, there's no tie-in to, to be had. Um, mm-hmm. You know, then you get Moonraker, which is also a complete departure, as you're, I'm sure you're finding out. <laughs> in, oh yeah. In, in your reading. I mean, the villain has the same name. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so this, yeah, this is really when we start to say we're going to leave the source material behind we might pull names we might pull certain scenes uh you know we talked about during live and let die how in the book there's a seat a couple scenes that show up in other films later on uh mm-hmm. but the plots themselves really don't show up in fact i i would and i might be proven wrong here again down the road but i'm pretty sure that the only the the next time that anything remotely close to a book actually shows up on screen is in casino royale yeah, that one is pretty close. I mean, there are differences, obviously, but there are it's very similar. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, so this is this is really, they, they could do whatever they want with this one. And they did. Yeah, I, I don't think I actually realized, um, I, I don't know if I've ever looked at the list of all the Bond novels. I don't think I realized that by this time they were still even using book titles. The first movie to use a title that isn't a Fleming title was Licensed to Kill. Okay. And then, uh, obviously, Goldeneye was taken from the estate in Jamaica yep. that Ian Fleming lived in. Uh, where he wrote the novels. Where he wrote the yeah. novels, yeah. And then we don't get a tie-in to the novels again until 
Casino Royale, and then we get Quantum of Solace, which is another short story that uh-huh. Fleming wrote. And I think they're down to Risico and Property of a Lady, which sort of gets used in Octopussy when they're going to the the auction. Um, that's how the Fabergé egg is listed, so that that's kind of a tie-in there. Uh, and then there's the very generically titled James Bond in New York, which I don't think will ever show up as a title. <laughs> we'll probably not get that movie, no. no. <laughs> so, we're, yeah, we're pretty much out of Fleming titles at this point. I think Risico is the only one that could even conceivably be used as a title at this point. Yeah, Quantum of Solace seemed like a, such a weird title until I, until I learned it was based on a Fleming story. I should have known that Octopussy had to have been a Fleming story. I wouldn't have just come up with that name for a movie. Right. And before we get into, you know, talking specifics about this movie, I do have to highlight, and we talked about this before we started recording, that Roger Moore turned 50 years old during the filming of this movie. And And I'll say the same thing that I said, well, (laughs) almost the same thing that I said when you mentioned that. Yeah bullcrap like i get that i i understand how time works he did in fact turn 50 during the filming of this movie but in no way does that man look 50 especially when you consider the shot connery was 37 that's right (laughs) i mean the the years catch up to roger moore kind of all at once i would say yeah i mean he's definitely aging he he looks older than he did in live and let die but he still looks pretty pretty good i'd say i think he looks about the same as he did in the last movie and for me, I feel like this era of Roger Moore would be, I would say, peak Roger Moore as Bond. Not necessarily saying that this is necessarily the best movie that he's in, although I think it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that this is when Roger Moore has become the role of Bond. And the role of Bond has also morphed to suit Roger Moore. Yeah, I agree with that. I He's a lot more relaxed in this movie. He's more... He's doing that casual suaveness mm-hmm. and but this is this is the one where you get you know the winks that he does or a lot more of the you know what people generally assume are the classic roger moore one-liners that he gets like that sort of stuff really starts coming into the fore in this film i think turns out not only mankowitz can write a good one-liner <laughs> there and again you know christopher wood was primarily the writer of the next movie and you can definitely see the style of one-liners that he's coming up with mm-hmm. you can tell it's the same writer that's doing these two two movies i think for just just from the quips he gets yeah and i and this movie also sets up a recurring henchman villain too mm-hmm. do we ever get another recurring henchman um i don't think so actually no uh but like i mean this movie clearly sets that up because we we see jaws swimming off into the sunset yes which in real life would mean that he would die because there was no land in sight but <laughs> Jaws does not die. <laughs> right. I mean, we can talk about where they take Jaws in the next movie when we get to it, but I think yes. He I I I think he's a very he's I mean, he's obviously a very imposing presence, um but I think he's he's easily one of my favorite, you know, henchmen. Oh, yeah, he's the quintessential Bond henchman. So, I guess we should get started with this thing. Sure, let's do it. So, we open on as you pointed out earlier, uh, a new we have a new shot of Bond on the gun barrel, which apparently you have some thoughts on. Well, so they refil- so they refilmed the gun barrel because they changed to widescreen format. Uh, the, yep, you can tell just 
because we're putting it up i'm putting it up on a blu-ray or you know whatever the the aspect ratio is different they made the i would say the unfortunate decision of putting roger moore in bell-bottom pants which is fine <laughs> except that he'll wear bell-bottom pants until he finishes out his run in 1985 <laughs> so it, it's it's it was it was a choice um yeah <laughs> we'll talk about again we mentioned him at the top uh John Barry was unable to score this movie because he was in tax exile at the time. <laughs> um, because of that, they had to hire somebody else. And Marvin Hamlish was in his mid-30s, I think. He had just won three Oscars in one year, um, which is hard to do as a composer. He, he won Best Score for The Way We Were. He won Best Song for the same movie. And he also won Best Adaptation of a Score because he adapted Scott Joplin's Rags for the Sting. All in one year. So he was kind of an up-and-coming hot property at the time. Ironically, uh, Roger Moore himself would actually become a tax exile not long after this movie. Yeah. And and actually, um, we mentioned Lewis Gilbert since we're talking about tax exiles, I guess. <laughs> so originally, they were going to bring back Guy Hamilton yet again which mm-hmm. I think I'm glad they didn't. Um, Guy Hamilton left the project because he was hired by uh, Alexander Salkind to direct Superman the movie. And they were originally going to shoot in Italy, and then they moved the production to Britain because of exchange rate issues in, in, in Italy, and Guy Hamilton could not direct the movie in Britain because he too was a tax exile. So that's why... <laughs> And then Richard Donner ends up doing it, and that's a whole other podcast that isn't this one. <laughs> but that, that it's a long way of saying that, like, Lewis Gilbert originally wasn't going to direct this movie either, but for weird reasons, he ended up getting involved in it. Um, so, yeah, back to Marvin Hamlish. Uh, I try not to get into the pedantic nature of the gun barrel music and stuff, but I just, I hate this cue. It's just, I think it's lame. Um, you mentioned the the end of it, which is amusing. And you can mention that too. You can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so it ends with like this disco-like twang. Guitar twang reverb. And it's just like, that's weird. <laughs> and then, because as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, that's really weird. And then we actually find... I actually find later that no, we have movie, we have music like that throughout this movie. Yeah, because it's the seventies. Yeah, and he was a big Bee Gees fan, as if you couldn't tell. Anyway, that's probably the longest we're ever going to spend on a gun barrel here. But <laughs> yeah, so we open up uh, on a a submarine that is having ADR issues, apparently. Yeah, uh, there's a couple scenes, especially when the captain is giving orders, where the voice and the captain's mouth movements do not even slightly match. <laughs> and. You know, we've we mentioned that a couple times. I don't know what it, it seems like a thing about British movies to me. And I don't know. Maybe that's unfair. Um, but it happens a lot in these Bond movies for some reason. 
uh-huh. uh, where they just they hire they like to hire other people to dub actors for reasons. You know, typically in the Bond series, it's all the female characters that get dubbed, but I, and I don't know if it's this guy's real voice that's on screen here, but yeah, there's definitely some issues here with syncing. Yeah. Uh, so backing up slightly, you mentioned the switch to widescreen. Yeah. And I don't know enough about film, uh, and I don't know if you do either, but uh, I will say that with that switch, the video quality dramatically increased as far as I can see, uh, in, to such that this is the best looking movie that we've had since Diamonds Are Forever, mm-hmm. which was also widescreen. Um, so, like, did it also, so with the switch to widescreen, did they also go with a higher quality film in general, or? You know, I don't know that, I don't, I don't have an answer to that. Um, it might be a higher, it might be a 70 millimeter film originally. Uh, I don't know if they were still shooting much in 70 millimeter in the late 70s. Um, I also know that if you're watching the 4K version or I'm watching the Blu-ray version, they did a lot of restorations on these and maybe they spent more time doing this movie because it was a better film i don't really have an answer to that <laughs> that might be uh i mean uh, it, it seems it seems like it would be human nature if you have you know 20 some movies to restore or you know upgrade to 4k that you're going to focus on the ones that are people are more so likely why did to they like put effort into diamonds are forever with them i don't know <laughs> but, but it, uh, it could have something to do with the widescreen actually i don't know because I, I, I remember when I watched Diamonds Are Forever noticing that this is the first one where I actually felt like it was worth purchasing the 4K version of it. <laughs> um, and then we went to Live and Let Die and was like, oh, well, this doesn't look 4K again. And then we, we have this one, and it, it also looks really good comparatively. Like, I, I actually can see a difference in the 4K compared to the Blu-ray that I own. I've, I haven't seen the 4K version, and the Blu-ray version looks way better than my DVD did, which is to be expected. Well, so, sure, yeah. Yeah. How did we ever watch VHS tapes? I know. Although I will say... <laughs> Our TV say, was small, though. The TV was smaller, and they looked better on a CRT. That's true. Yes. VHS quality is terrible. But on a CRT... On the on the screen that it was actually de- originally designed to be shown on, it actually looked decent. Okay. Uh, it's not... And it's not just HD versus SD. It's the whole way that a CRT... SD screen displayed the image it just I never noticed an issue watching VHS back in the day on a CRT TV admittedly yes smaller screens but even if you're watching it on a larger TV you know like a 20 inch or something uh, they still looked decent and it's just a the fact that that screen was designed for that there's also the whole conversation we can have about how uh, analog standard definition video didn't actually have pixels so (laughs) yeah right there there is no way that you can actually accurately portray how that looked on a modern hd screen because they've had to digitize it and render it into something that was not what you saw back in the day right no that's a that's a very good point uh i also want to highlight the fact that you said the words large and 20 inch in the same sentence so (laughs) At the time, at the time was it was huge. yeah. At the time it was huge, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my family's TV when I was growing up was a thirteen inch. Yep. Uh, it was older than I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when I was in early high school, 
my town used to do a thing called spring cleanup where people could put out bulk electronics or really anything out on the street and they would take them out Mm -hmm. and the trash collectors would come and pick them up i used to walk around and like you know pick through people's electronics (laughs) um i was in high school in the early 2000s this was when people were starting to upgrade to to fancier tvs like plasma tvs were just becoming a thing and then there were those giant rear projection tvs that were all the rage so like the crts people were starting to just put them out so i had a 27 inch uh crt tv that i got for free off the street corner did you drive around or were you just showing off your strength by carrying a 27 inch tv which probably weighed more than you did i did not have a car i walked around with a (laughs) wheelbarrow (laughs) you would have to oh yeah oh no the thing was not light And then I had to get it inside and take it upstairs to my bedroom. And, oh, man, yeah, it was a it was a struggle. And, of course, my parents were like, yeah, you can have it, but we're not helping you put it in there. <laughs> Probably the closest brush to death I've had in my lifetime was one time I was helping my father-in-law at the time put his 32-inch tube television up on top oh, of geez. a dresser. And it almost oh, fell on no. me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah, that's so... that the end. <laughs> Boy, we, we fell down a rabbit hole, didn't we? Uh. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But anyway, the video quality yeah, in this movie, for whatever reason, is definitely better. It feels like the 4K version actually feels worthwhile. Um, I will say, if you're listening to this podcast and you're considering buying the 4K movies on iTunes, or because iTunes or Amazon or your digital movie platform of choice is the only way to get them at this time. There is no 4K Blu-ray release. Right. Um, maybe skip the Sean Connery collection just okay. because you're not, I don't think you're going to get a, much of a benefit out of it. Okay. The, the, because the 4K transfers don't have fancy additional features. They didn't remaster them with HDR or Dolby Atmos sound or anything like that. It's just a 4K transfer and it, I really don't think the video quality is worth it. But at this point, halfway through Roger Moore, I'm actually glad I paid the money. I've certainly noticed things that I hadn't noticed before in a lot of these movies. Uh, oh, no, you definitely yeah. get a benefit from the from the image quality because film is a much higher resolution. Well, film isn't technically a resolution. Again, we come back to no pixels. Yeah. Um, but film is a much higher quality than most digital formats. Even technically, you could technically even have film better quality than 4K. But... Especially with older films, that you definitely hit the point of diminishing returns. Like, I doubt this movie would look much better in 8K than it does in 4K. But yeah, like, the you know the quality of film versus pixels. I mean, just look at like, how they remastered the original Star Trek show just because they had the original film and they could get those yep. images. So. And they did the same thing with Next Generation. Right. Uh, and they could, do, if they you know, chose to spend the exorbitant amount of money, they could do it with DS9 and Voyager 2. That, I think, I mean, that's not going to happen, and it's because they went CGI. It's never going to happen, no. But they could. They ha- They do still have the film, as uh, documentaries prove. So. But let's talk about this movie. Yeah, I was going to say, 30 minutes in, we're still in the pre-credit sequence here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, you know, we have the bad ADR of the submarine, but they, they, they're forced to surface, and then something happens to them that we don't see. Uh we, we find out that Sir Hilary Bray is now part of the Royal Navy because they've recycled the actor. Uh, <laughs> we then, for the first time, get to meet General Gogol, who I think yeah. is a... 
is is a great addition. I I would say to this part of yes. the series. I I I like General Gogol a lot. Uh, I I always enjoy him turning up. In my notes, I called him Mirror M because he really even his office and everything is obviously set up to to be. They have the same things and they do the same things that MI six does. Uh, I like the use here of the. The, the music from Dr. Zhivago when the little music box goes off. when they Just to remind us he's Russian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think it's a nice little fake out they do here with this guy Barzov. Um, where yes. even even the way the shot's composed, you're supposed to think that he's triple X and it's not. It's um, Major Amasova instead, who's the woman in bed with him. And he does not shave his back. He does not shave his back, no. <laughs> And we have an excellent scene with M asking Moneypenny where Bond is. <laughs> yes. She says he's in Austria. And he says, tell him to pull out immediately. And we cut to Bond having sex. Yeah, exactly. Well done. <laughs> I will I will say that I'm even more convinced now in seeing this movie that Bernard Lee was definitely ill the last film. Because he yeah. looks so much better in this movie. He does. Although, I also wonder a bit, because... It feels as though they were deliberately limiting how much he was in this movie. I think so. But that may have also been because he had been ill in the previous movie. It, it could be. I mean, I think, I don't know for sure. He struggled a lot with drinking. Uh, I think he died of liver cancer or some liver ailment uh, or something like that. Um, so they, it might have been a situation where they just didn't know what his availability was going to be when they would film these movies. Mm-hmm. So. Stomach cancer, actually. Okay, stomach cancer. So, yeah, but he definitely... And, and they start building these supporting people around him. We see Frederick Gray again, uh, who we met a couple films ago. And we see him... He props up again in For Your Eyes Only, uh, the Minister of Defense. Our Minister of Defense? Or is he... Home, he's Home Secretary, I think. Which, if I remember correctly, is kind of the Secretary of State equivalent. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, wouldn't that be the foreign secretary? Well, I'm thinking, like, the secretary of state does the diplomatic stuff, which would be the foreign secretary, presumably. But, uh, yeah, I don't know enough about how the British political system works. I know that they have they have shadow versions of every position, too, which is fascinating. Yes, I agree, yeah. <laughs> like, could you imagine if we did that? I feel like we have that now. Uh, anyway. But, like, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, no, if we do, actually yeah. had, like, if there was, like, the shadow president and the shadow, like, mm -hmm. if that, that all existed. Yeah. Like, yeah. if, yes, Donald Trump is our president, but if Hillary Clinton was the shadow president because she was the leader of the opposition. That that would go so well. <laughs> yeah. I, I just kind of you know, wish that we had the parliamentary system where they would boo and heckle everybody and you'd have the guy, like, yelling order and all that stuff. I I love that so much. Order! Order! I'm, I'm, I already missed that guy. Yeah, no, I love... I always love Brit when we see things like that in the parliament in, Brit in, in Britain in movies. Because, yes, they're always yelling and shouting and it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I would watch C-SPAN if it was more like that. It, yeah, absolutely. So I love, every once in a while, Bond gets a gadget that I swear is just there to look weird. And I put ticker tape watch on that list. Uh, Where is the roll of tape stored? 
Ruben, no. especially with how it comes out like that, it would the roll would have to be perpendicular to his wrist. And that watch is not nearly thick enough. Maybe it goes through the watch, the band. Maybe. I don't know. No. You're not supposed to ask these questions. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets the ticker tape thing that says he has to report in. Uh, meanwhile, we find out that Barazov and some other guys are waiting to ambush him outside. And he's got this ridiculous... What is with the giant with the red backpack? Well, we find out what the red backpack's for later. Well, yes, but it just it looks so in- ridiculous. Well, this whole out, this yes. whole outfit is ludicrous, frankly. Yes. I mean, you're, I'm going to hide in the snow by wearing bright yellow and red. McDonald's might have sponsored this movie. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, I don't know why this amuses me so much, and you're probably going to be like, whatever. Um, he's about to leave out the door, and the woman he's with is like james i need you and james and bond says so does england and there's this little like trumpet sound in the score but james i need you so does england (laughs) (laughs) i just love so much i don't know why That's pretty good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about that that I just love so much. So we then get some really good skiing and some really bad rear projection on Roger Moore doing a really terrible job of pretending to ski. Yes. <laughs> uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service did it better. The, 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 the ski pole gun, I like that. That that makes people's chests catch on fire. Yeah. that's that, <laughs> It's like a stormtrooper or something. No, next week's the Star Wars movie. Yeah, that's true, too. Uh, And we get, I would say, one of the very best stunts we ever get in a pre-credit sequence here. At the end of this. I want to know how high that cliff is. I don't know. Because he falls for a really long time before he pulls that parachute. He does. And, I mean, that's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, that some guy... um, I mean, it says in the credits, his name's Rick Sylvester. He really jumped off this cliff and did this stunt. Yeah, well, they, they slowed down the fall, obviously. Yeah, so of course. he didn't fall as far as we think he did. But oh, still. no, no. And and I also, I love whoever's idea it was to put the Union Jack on the parachute, I think is a great little button on this hole. Again, you know, definitely secret agent. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then we go into the credits. We which... do. I like the credits. I don't like the naked woman clothed Bond juxtaposition. Yeah, that's that's not good. It it is the first time it's the first time they've actually used Roger Moore in the credits or any Bond yeah actor in the credits. Uh, yeah, the the clothed Bond naked woman thing is bad. They're also getting or Morris Bender's also getting a lot more blasé with covering up nudity at this point. And I don't know if that's because I'm watching it in a higher resolution than before, but if it was projected up on a big screen, you would definitely notice it, I think. But I, I also feel like the models were fully nude in some of the earlier ones, and, and they're not in this one. I don't know. Some of them look pretty pretty fully nude to me. I mean, I was try- there were a couple scenes where I was wondering and was looking closely, and every time that I... They all seemed to be wearing bikini bottoms. Okay. 
I mean, it's not. It's hard to tell in some scenes. They're definitely not trying to show you that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they they all seem to be wearing bikini bottoms. Okay. But I think in some some of the earlier ones, they were actually fully nude. All right. I no, they definitely were at other times. But I yeah, I haven't. I wasn't paying that close attention. <laughs> well, like I thought I saw a. I thought I saw it. So I'm like, oh well. Now are they all? So yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I also I, I had legitimate reasons to be staring at the naked women. I promise. Uh, on a technical side, I, I'm confused, and it's, this isn't the only time this happens. I think it's in the next movie, at least, too, where, for whatever reason, at least in my version, I had pillar boxes on the credits. Uh, so yes. it's not full. Yeah. In fact, ratio is different on the credits than on the rest of the movie, which is odd. I'm wondering if the original, the original version in the theater was probably a slightly, was probably what we see in the credits could and be. then when they remastered it they're like oh well, we have this little bit of extra film yeah that could be i mean it really wouldn't have mattered i mean the, when i first saw this movie mm-hmm. the first couple times i saw this movie it would have been on a vhs tape it would have so. been pan and scanned Ugh. and uh, formatted to modified formatted to fit your tv screen so yuck <laughs> i don't miss that um no but on those 13 inch screens Oh yeah, you do, you don't want you don't want sixteen by nine on a thirteen inch screen. That would <laughs> yeah. Um, we haven't talked about the song at all. Um, it's good. Yeah. doesn't have the title of the movie in it no but, but it they did good. work the title of well, the no, movie it into does, the lyrics is it in it it's yes. just not the yeah yeah this is the first time they had a song where the title of the song was not the title of the movie and the, the title of the movie is one of the lyric one of the lines in the song yes that's but, right but no it's a very good song yeah. uh we were talking about uh bond songs that actually were legitimately songs that people have heard and mm-hmm. last week and i think this one might be the only one well i'm sure people have heard live and let die at least they've heard the cover oh no no we talked about live and let die yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right live uh, and let die and this one are probably the only ones that at least to my 21st century maybe in the 70s you know people were singing thunderball or in the 60s people were singing <laughs> thunderball all the time i don't know i kind of doubt it uh, at least thunderball <laughs> but uh but no this this is one I, I definitely remember, um, you know, it, I remembered seeing this movie as a kid, but I don't know if I ever mm-hmm. sat down and watched it from beginning to end for whatever reason. And 
And I remember at some point coming, sitting down to specifically to watch this movie and saying, oh, I know this song. I didn't realize this song was in the, from this movie, you know, because... I again, actually it's... owned this movie on VHS. Like, oh, okay. legitimate, like, purchased from the store VHS tape. I mean, it wasn't... Again, we talk about this would have been the early 2000s when I bought it, so it would have been, like, secondhand somewhere. It wouldn't... It wasn't... At the time, the DVD would have already existed. I just didn't have it. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely a, a I would put it in the top five songs, maybe even um, mm-hmm. if I had to rank them. We come out of that into General Google's office again, and again we get another obvious parallel. I like scene the here. stark comparison between Google's office and M's office. I like the random high back chairs just in the background all over the place. Did they actually have pictures of? giant pictures of Lenin up in their I, offices? I don't know. Uh, in the 70s? It's, it's for those people so you know that they're in, in Russia, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like, wouldn't it have made more, wouldn't you have, like, the current premiere of the Soviet Union? I, it, at this point, I'm not certain who it was. Would, would it still Khrushchev at this point? Khrushchev, yeah. Yeah, it might have been Khrushchev, but no, I think it would have been Khrushchev by now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, wouldn't that make? But of course, the uh, the average viewer is more likely to recognize Lenin, I suppose. Probably. I mean, I certainly couldn't tell you off the top of my head what Khrushchev looked I, like. I just know he hit his shoe that one time. That's all I know of him. Yeah. I mean, but that's the only image I have of him, and I don't. I'm not picturing the, the space. kitchen table talk with Nixon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the extent of my Khrushchev knowledge. <laughs> Um, we, we get bonded. Which is admittedly more than I know about Brezhnev, so... Right. I could recognize Stalin, and I could recognize, uh, Gorbachev, and that's about it. Stalin, Lenin, Gorbachev, oh, and Lenin, then, like, yeah. yeah, that, those are the, yeah, those are the Soviets I could recognize. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we like, we do actually want to talk about this movie, we I do, promise. yeah. Uh, we get to see Bond in uniform again, which is always nice. Yes! I also find it interesting. I don't know if you noticed, but I definitely noticed that Bond is that they they had to make Bond a higher rank than the heroine, because obviously. Obviously, I also need to highlight that Q's suit is certainly a choice they made in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a very wool suit. <laughs> Even the vest, like it's a three-piece thing. Um, oh yeah. So. But anyway, Bond shows up with this thing in a tube, and they open up this ludicrous door that I don't quite understand to get at this tracking map of a submarine that disappeared. And I know you have something you want to talk about there. <laughs> yeah, it sure <laughs> is convenient that that trace of the submarine map happens to be exactly the same scale as the map that they have on the wall here. What, you you wanted them to get the overhead projector out and have to like wheel it back and forth to get it to line up properly with the, the thing on the wall. It would be more realistic. <laughs> like, what were the odds? Yeah. <laughs> just an interesting thing. I, I actually really like these naval uniforms, though. With I do, their too. brass yeah. buttons. and Yeah, these are, they look cool. Yeah. Way cooler than the American uniforms that we see later. Uh, Well, yeah. They're just slumming it, though. I mean, this this looks like this is probably like the equivalent of the the blues that they would wear in the in the navy, which they don't 
wear, you know, on duty that much. Right. No, it would be like. Yeah. I mean, do you ever watch Jag? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah it would have yeah. been like what they wore in the courtrooms of mm-hmm. Jag. No, I love Jag. Uh, oh, me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we find out that they got that trace from somebody in Cairo, I believe, right? Um, yes. And then we cut to this guy Stromberg, who likes to eat shellfish. And he likes to have, as every Bond villain must, he has likes to have very complicated ways of killing people. He, he does. Uh, he brings these two guys in that helped him develop this tracking system, and then he says he congratulates them and says, "We're going to send you. We're going to pay you." And, I'll, I'll, and he's like, "And oh, by the way, somebody's been trying." to sell them to competing world powers. And then he goes to his assistant and says, maybe you should leave. Well, I think the thought process what there was, what we're supposed to think is, oh, he's telling his her to leave so that she doesn't see something messy. Sure. I but think that was I don't, her thought I, process. I don't, know if, I don't know if I ever thought that she wasn't the one in trouble, though. Yeah, no. And then, yeah, he drops her into the shark tank, and okay, uh... Which is, and there's a very obviously fake shark eating her. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> I wonder if they borrowed a shark from Jaws. Oh, maybe. It's Bruce. And uh, then we think, the, the, the scientists think they're in the clear, but they have another trepidation while they get on the elevator. Which well, is I, I love the look on their face. Like, the one guy, yeah. when he turns around and looks at him, like, are you going to drop me too? Like, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. this horrible look on but his then, face. And then he blows up a helicopter. Yeah. Like... <laughs> That's just wasteful. Well, I guess the shark was full. And at so... first, when he says, send a note to their family that they were tragic, well, like, oh, okay, he's going to use this as the example for obvious that that, that that way he has plausible deniability as footage of the accident. But then he's just like, but then when he says their burial was at sea, it sounds like, no, he's not going to tell them anything. He's no. just, he just blew up a helicopter for no reason because he wanted to mess with these guys. Right. My favorite part of that whole thing is he's watching them on the monitor and he has like the destructor button, you know, that he's push he's gonna push. He pushes the button, the helicopter blows up, and within like two seconds of the helicopter blowing up, his first words are cancel transfer of twenty million dollars. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, like Which is my favorite um I'm gonna undo my payment to the guy I just killed moment in Bond. <laughs> Uh, but we do meet his two henchmen. Um, I, I, had, I had one question for you before that. Uh-huh. Why is Atlantis underwater for this one little bit? Yeah. And then they... So they could show that off? I guess. Because we also see the model later of it underground, underwater as like sure. his underwater city. Or maybe I should ask, why doesn't he submerge it ever again? I don't know. It was too expensive, probably. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, yeah, his henchmen come in, you were saying. Yes, we get Sandor and Jaws. Yes. And Jaws, we mentioned, is the quintessential henchman, but Sandor, wow, he definitely (laughs) is a a henchman. He looks so henchman. He he looks like he belongs in that fight scene at the beginning of uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, he looks like he could be the... The boss, at man with the golden gun, that sends the henchmen over over to kill Bond too. Right. Yeah. No, oh he, yeah. No, he's, he's he's one of the most henchmeny of henchmen. Like this actor could not have played anything other than a henchman in his <laughs> <my> career. No. 
No, definitely not. And Jaws smiles, so we see his teeth. And then we have, you know, Bond riding a camel. Yeah, has his buddy in a tent that they, they hang out. The guy just seems absolutely bored with his existence. Yeah, uh, and he uh, basically gives Bond a slave to have sex with. Well, when one is, so when one is in Egypt, one must should delve deeply into its treasures. <sighs> yeah, that's not a good line. No, but, well, that whole scene... This whole just, scene, there's no reason for it either. No, and it just feels very... It, I mean, obviously that woman has no agency. He, she's just a gift to Bond. It, ugh, gross. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only the only reason the scene is here, other than to be icky, is you get the <laughs> the thing about, you know, and and I don't understand this either. Where he says you're going to have to talk to Kalba, Max Kalba, but to talk to Kalba, you have to talk to Fakesh. Why? I don't know. Like I don't know what I don't know what Fakesh is doing here, and I have other questions about Fakesh in a bit. Uh, Why does he keep a photo of himself in his living room? <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> oh, this is what this is what the guy I'm looking for looks like. Cool. Uh, yeah, so he goes there and then he meets a woman. So I will say though, I do really like Bond's outfit here. Yes, it's very of its time, mm-hmm. but it looks good. It does, and it looks it looks very appropriate for where he is in the mm-hmm. desert. I think. Well, I feel like the jacket's probably a little heavy for the desert, but yes. It looks like something a British person would wear to the desert, because it's proper. (laughs) Including his bell-bottom pants again. Yes. And we definitely are in the 70s with our very wide ties. Oh, yeah. So, And it turns out that Sandor is watching all of this hidden with a weird mask thing on, it looks like, or he's just behind a thing. I I can't tell. Um, And he shoots this woman who is there to be a distraction to bond and i you know i don't know is she there is she legitimately there to distract bond for sandor is she there to distract bond until that's gets home clear. but i think once we see later in the movie I, I at first it seems like it could be for sandor but i think what's really happening here is she's to distract bond while Fakesh meets with the russians mm-hmm so that Bond doesn't know he's meeting with the Russians. Right. Okay. That That's could that that my could be, and that could that could help answer the other question I have. Uh, Stromberg told Sandor and Jaws that anyone who comes into contact with the microfilm is to be eliminated. Mm-hmm. And Fakesh is clearly involved with the microfilm. Yeah. So, why did they let him go to the pyramids? If they're going to kill him there. Yeah, especially because he hadn't even talked to the Russians and the Russians hadn't seen the microfilm yet. They could right. have just killed Fakesh and the loose end would be tied up. Yeah, and why does Sandor know he's at the pyramids? Because we get... so we Well, get... he and Jaws probably are like, okay, you take the... You, Jaws is like, you, I'll take the pyramids, you take the office. Or something. That could be. There's a lot of things that make no sense, such as this being broad daylight, but the pyramids being d- dead of night. Well, sure. I mean, the pyramids aren't that close. Well, yeah, I mean, Bond could get there quickly. Giza's um, not close to Cairo. No. But why would this all be happening at the same time? Because clearly, San, San, uh, Fakesh is already at the pyramids while Bond is waiting in Cairo. Right. So, like, it doesn't really make sense. No. Yeah, so 
we get a, a sequence of Roger Moore fighting. Um, <laughs> yes, we do. I do like how once Sandor tells him where he's going, he just lets him go. <laughs> what a helpful chap, he says. Yeah, and yeah, that doesn't. I mean, the whole setup really doesn't quite make sense to me. Uh, but then Bond goes out to the pyramids to this really weird light show thing, which presumably was a real thing. Okay. I I don't know. I'm just guessing. This yeah. feels too much it, like, like I they couldn't have made up this entire thing for this movie. I don't think. No, I wouldn't think so. Bond has really good. Um, he he's really good at picking out Fakesh out of this crowd. Yeah, and it's dark, and yeah, he he does. He definitely sees him, and presumably also recognizes whom Fakesh is talking to. I would. Yeah, I think he would. I mean, he he knows a lot about her anyway, or mm-hmm. that we find out later. I will say, for the fact that, even though this doesn't make a lot of sense, I like the way this is all shot, like, with the lighting revealing Jaws. I like how, I, I do like the twang every time we see Jaws. Yeah, the, the music's a little goofy, but I, I like it. Uh. <laughs> and Fakesh sees Jaws and is like, oh, I'm gonna go into the pyramids, because that... That makes Safe. sense. <laughs> Rather than here in this group of people where Jaws wouldn't walk in to kill me. Right. Just, yeah, I mean, honestly, Fakesh kind of deserves to die at this he, point. He kind of does. He's he's not he's not the swiftest guy that we've come across, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't get what Fakesh is doing. Uh, and again, I don't understand what Fakesh has to do with anything when we already know that the real person they have to meet with is Max Calba. Although I guess Fakesh has in his... So Fakesh has in his date planner or whatever uh, a, a, a meeting with Max Calba. So maybe we're finding out where Max is going to be, except then we find out that Max Calba owns the entire club that they're in. So that doesn't make sense. And Jaws just lets Bond go, too, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, is Bond armed at this point? He is. But Jaws... When that doesn't stop, stop him. Jaws? That doesn't stop him other times, yeah. Yeah. So, interestingly, um, the Bond wiki tells us that in this scene that that Richard Keel actually was having problems, actually fainted a couple times. Hmm. And they used his stunt double for a lot of this, which just had copper foil in his mouth. So, that's interesting. Maybe, that, maybe that's why there's so many shots of him from behind. That might be, yeah. It's convenient that Jaws didn't, you know, destroy the evidence of where... Of where Fakesh was going to meet Kalba. Mm-hmm. Well, because he goes there. But yeah, then that why why wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And this does happen, and, and it'll happen again. I think next week, where you, you have these scenes that are entertaining, but they don't make sense when you start to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Jaws disappeared. I, I also want to point out that Jaws's jacket is also an interesting costume decision that they put him in. Um, yeah, I I think. The problem is, the jacket, there's nothing wrong with the jacket, but because of how large a man Richard Keel is, it just looks ridiculous when cut for his size. Yeah, man that big should not have a double-breasted jacket on. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, he disappears, and then we find out that Anya has brought some goons with her, apparently, who we don't see again after this time. uh, Well, because, because they were overzealous. Because they were overzealous, yeah, and... Bond beats them up. I like, I like the timing with the, the background and the show and everything. And he beats these guys up and then just says, "Yeah, hope you enjoyed the show. Good night." 
Yeah, that was good. The whole timing of this is good. And then we get Kalba's club. And we meet, meet up with Anya again. They show that they know each other. Yeah. Uh, we get a we get a, a reference to the fact that Roger Moore's Bond is the same Bond we've seen in other movies because she references his, his dead wife. Which is nice. I like that. Yeah. It uh, puts a hole in the whole James Bond is a Time Lord fan theory, though. Yes, true. <laughs> or the, the theory that Bond is just a name they give to their top agent. Which I don't... I, I hate that theory frankly <laughs> but i do too the, the time lord one makes more sense yeah, the, yeah. i mean it, it it this could still work if it was a time lord yeah it could all right uh so bond does talk to kalba and Anyuk shows up and they're bidding on it and kalba gets called away to the phone which rookie mistake you never like it feels ridiculous in multiple instances here yes kalba doesn't know that someone's trying to kill him right but He's in the middle of this negotiation. I feel like he wouldn't have just said he wouldn't have. It doesn't matter who's calling. I don't think he would. Have, he should have gone up, gotten up to take that call. Then I agree. Um, my problem with the call is he owns this place. Why is he taking a call in a public kiosk? There's that too. I mean, if somebody legit was trying to reach the owner of the club, he surely has an office somewhere. You'd think. Uh, but anyway, we. I like that after Jaws kills him, I like when Bond finds him and then sticks the out-of-order yes, sign on him. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice touch, yeah. I do enjoy that. And we see that Jaws is in a telephone service van, so Bond and Anya both sneak into the back of the van. Right. And then this van drives off across the desert. Um, This van does not look like an all-terrain vehicle. Nope. I really don't understand how it's able to drive across the sand. But okay, yeah. and it has trouble later. But and well, I part of that trouble was because Jaws ripped it apart. But I, I, yeah, maybe I don't get what Jaws is doing here because yeah, why does we, he drive to we, the middle of nowhere? We find out that he has the back of the thing bugged because they get in the back of the van and he's hearing them talk. Yeah, which is again great foresight to to do that. But, but then, why does he drive them here? Yeah. And, and not only does he drive them there, he drives them to into these ruins, parks the van, leaves the keys in the ignition, uh, and then leaves. He doesn't go around back and say, surprise, I knew you were back here. No. Uh, this, this, again, this this is, and, and I think this is an enjoyable little cat and mouse thing they have going on in these ruins at some point, but, mm-hmm. like, Why? It does seem a bit ridiculous. Yeah. My biggest issue with this movie is that it doesn't quite know what tone it wants to have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's some pretty good... And at least up until this point, I mean, Jaws is fairly ridiculous, but mm-hmm. it's been a fairly straight... They've been playing it straight for a lot of this. And then you get these goofy things of... Uh, they Bond and Anya steal the van and then jaws rips it apart in a rather goofy way uh at one point he drives they drive away and he picks that block up over his head for no reason and then drops it on his foot because that's supposed to be funny uh and then you get them driving through the desert with the goofy music as the pieces of the van are flopping around and everything and
we doing the the comedy version of Bond like we were trying to do for the past few movies again? I I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it, if you feel the same way that it it's inconsistent in the way that they. I would agree it. with that. Yeah, okay. there is. We we definitely have some odd, both lighthearted and serious at the same time mm-hmm. things here that. And then we we have the whole thing with Anya appearing not to know how to drive, but actually knowing how to drive. And, of course, Bond has to say women drivers. Yes. I I do like his one line when she's stripping the gears and he says, can you play any other tunes? Yes. Uh, And I like, uh, I do like as they're driving away when Bond says, you saved my life. And she says, we all make mistakes. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's good. But, yeah, the van apparently overheats and was probably damaged when Joss was ripping it apart. Mm-hmm. And it's convenient that they happen to be right by a boat that's going to Cairo. Yeah. Because that could have been a really bad situation they were in. And Bond has a tiny little microfilm reader. Yeah, but we also... It's, it's in both of our notes, so we should mention that the van breaks down and they decide they have to set off on foot and they put in the Lawrence of Arabia theme as they're yes, walking they through the do. desert. <laughs> <laughs> Which is now the second Maurice Jarre uh, bit of music we've heard in this movie. Uh, but I, which I enjoy actually, I, that I don't mind so much. Um, it's, it's kind of cute. I don't, I don't yeah. know whose idea that was, but it's kind of cute. You know, it's a nice little thing. Yeah. I, I also like when we see that microfilm, it's like, Oh, that looks familiar. I had a camera that used film like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those little film cartridge things. Yeah. The ones you'd snap in the back and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember those. Man, this, this episode is a requiem for dead technology, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did, I did manage to work in the overhead projector at one point, too, so... Uh, earlier oh man kids today don't know what that is you can use google for that i don't want to spend another 20 minutes on the overhead projector <laughs> uh yeah so he's he's checking out the the microfilm and she comes back uh we get to hear his sexy talk about siberian uh, uh survival courses and you know all about to... shared bodily warmth here his favorite part Yes. <laughs> and, okay, so you would think, since Bond is obviously the same person as the, as the previous Bond, you'd think he'd be wise to cigarettes that aren't really cigarettes. Hmm. Since he had some at one point. He had the, the like, rocket cigarettes. Sure, but she hasn't even lit this one. That's true. And then there was that guy in Dr. No with the cyanide oh, cigarette. Oh, the cyanide cigarette, yeah. Yeah. This scene, uh, I mean, I realize it's actually supposed to work the other way around, but it makes me think of the Deep Space Nine episode, uh, Arman Bashir, mm. which I realize that actually gets it from this scene, and it's yes. the other way around. But yes. <laughs> I, saw, I saw Star Trek first, so. Uh. <laughs> but anyway, she, yeah, Anya drugs Bond, takes the microfilm, and goes away. Bond wakes up the next morning, uh realizes he's been duped and then i guess they've already set up a rendezvous location in cairo somewhere 
Although he asked this guy where the woman went. And next thing we know, he's at this mobile headquarters, which now be, it becomes a thing for a while where we get MI6 on location a lot in this era, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with Q, where Q's lab has now become this mobile thing. Yeah. Uh, it does seem odd that they would have... I mean, Q... Yeah, it makes sense that Q would be there to show... But it seems very odd that Moneypenny and M just travel around to meet Bond. Yeah. And, like, the headquarters is already set up, so this is, like, the secret MI6 headquarters where M is whenever he's in Cairo, I guess. Sort of like how we have the secret MI6 headquarters where M is whenever he's in Hong Kong. Like, does M have a secret headquarters in every city? Well, he had the um, the M1 uh, uh, submarine in, in the one movie, so he could have his mobile headquarters with him, too, I guess. That's true, yeah. Uh, yeah, he had the, what, the that shipwreck installation yeah. they had in the last movie. Yeah, yeah. So M has a secret headquarters in every city. That's my headcanon now. Okay. Or is it an M? Is it M's headquarters? Or okay, I guess he's he is sharing it with Google, and they've both decorated things. Because yes, Google has a bust of Lenin on his. I desk. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've put a lot of touches into this secret temporary headquarters. <laughs> it's the, the detente room. Uh, <laughs> I I love their their like how collegial they are like they they're on a first name basis with each other we find out that m's name is miles for the first time uh in the scene and then like this one-upsmanship they have between bond and anya so this makes me wonder does q's first name start with q is he quentin boothroyd (laughs) maybe although i think it's quartermaster but well sure but if m starts with m i mean you never know that's a good point. What does what does he say in Casino Royale? He's like, I, I always thought M was a randomly assigned letter, but it's not. It stands for yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's you utter one out. more word. <laughs> How have you killed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, interesting. Here, I, I read somewhere. It might have been on the wiki. I don't know. When they're looking at this weird watermark that showed up on the the microfilm or, you know, some, a show through or something, and and Bond says, oh, it's stromberg and he has a laboratory and and etc and m says well done james and that's the first time he's actually referred to bond by his name yeah and interestingly uh in um the book of moonraker which i'm listening to m calls him james at one point too and bond notes that he doesn't usually do that Mm -hmm. so maybe that's something they took from the source material in some way yeah yeah maybe I think the wiki actually notates that this is one one of the only times he does that. Uh, it's the second film in which he oh. refers to him by his name. He does it in at the wedding. In oh, Hunter okay. Mansion well, that would, yeah, Service. that would make sense. Yeah. This is also the second time that Q is referred to by his real name. Yeah, they did that in uh, in Doctor No, I think, when it was the other guy. He wasn't in Doctor No, but in Promotion no, was... with Love. Oh, was it? Okay. No, I guess he was he was in Doctor No. Yeah, also, get, wasn't it's it's just a, it's not Desmond Llewellyn. It's the other. He's guy. just called Quartermaster in that one though. Okay. I think. But in From Russia with Love, he's call, he's not referred to as Q. He's just referred to as Major Boothroyd. Yeah, I, I don't think he's called Q until Goldfinger. Um, and Money Penny will not have a first name until Skyfall. Right. Well, I have things to say about that later. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so they find out that Stromberg is somebody they want to go talk to, and they get on a train, which, of course, means nothing bad's going to happen. Nope, definitely not going to be a fight on a train in a Bond movie. No. And it, it's it's a good fight, I think. It is, yeah. I mean, they usually are. Yeah. Bond is wearing another Earth Tone 70s outfit that works oh, yeah, pretty he well, is. I think. Yeah. I'm not sure I care for the striped shirt. No, those wide stripes on it. Yeah, that's that's not a great look. I do like how apparently Jaws has just been hiding in the closet this whole time. Yeah, how long has he been there? <laughs> he has a very sort of, like, stupefied face, so he's just been bored sitting, standing there for hours. Yeah, I do really enjoy how this fight really emphasizes just how big Jaws is. Like, when he picks, he, like, his whole hand, like, wraps around his face and he picks up Bond mm-hmm. by his head, you know, and it turns him over. I'll let you talk about your favorite moment in this fight because you you pointed it out. Uh. Yeah, so at some point, Bond picks up a board that I guess was... Oh, it was on the... It was like a tray table or something? Yeah, and hits Jaws with it. Jaws grabs it, takes a bite out of it, and throws it away. (laughs) Like, why? (laughs) He's showing off. I guess... Like, it's not like he bit it to defend himself or something. He takes it out of Bond's hand and then just goes, chomp. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love the sound effect. It's just crunch. Mm -hmm. um, I like the way it sort of reminds me of the Teehee fight where he uses his little characteristic, the metal teeth against him when he electrocutes Mm -hmm. them with the, the broken lamp. Uh and I, I always love, and they do this again next time in the next movie too, the, the gag of Jaws just getting up and dusting himself off and walking away. Like he gets thrown out of a train and rolls down a hill and just kind of gets up and wipes the dirt off and just starts walking. And later on, he his car falls through a building and he does the same thing. He just kind of looks up and you know th- wipes the dust off and keeps going. Yeah, and I, I, I really like the effect of the wires on the teeth. That's... Yeah. No, that was good. So, yeah. I mean, but Jaw, you can't stop Jaws. He gets knocked down, but he gets up again. Yep. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Good to have it on the beat me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Good to have it on the beat me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Good to have it on the beat me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Good to have it on the beat he saved well, her, I mean, and, and and they use she. He decides to use her nightgown as a tourniquet for his little injury that he has on his shoulder. I like I like Bond's outfit now, where it's the same outfit just without the striped shirt. It works much better with a plain shirt. It does. And Q shows up with a cool looking lotus. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of the lotus. I like the lotus. Yeah. This movie is filled with all sorts of interesting British cars that don't exist anymore. <laughs> That's because true. Yeah. The Jaws's work van was a Leyland. Oh, was it? Okay. Yes. <laughs> and we had and we had a whole bunch of uh, AMC cars last time. Yeah. Well, those aren't British, they don't e- but yes. No, but they don't exist. But they don't exist anymore. <laughs> now I know the American Motor Car Company is not British. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Lotus is British, I believe. Yeah. Like I've watched enough episodes of Top Gear over the years that and. Uh, Leyland was a British company as well. I'm not too sure about the plaid seats, but other than that, I think this car is pretty cool. 
It is. It's also very of its time. It is. With those those lines are very seventies. Oh, very. Yeah, I do like the exchange at the end here when he's he's not sticking around for the safety briefing or whatever Q wants to give him, and he says, "Q, have I ever let you down?" Frequently. There's also he also says, "Now pay attention, 007, which I think he says in every movie. Yeah, it becomes a thing. Yeah, definitely. There was a video game. I think it was for the PlayStation One. It was okay. like James Bond stunt driver. I don't think that was the name. But it was basically, it was a Bond car game. And it starts with a video, a full motion video, because that was the, all the rage on PlayStation 1. Yeah. Uh, uh, of Q saying, now pay attention, 007. <laughs> Interesting. I don't remember anything about the game other than uh, it was about, it was a Bond driving or racing or something game. Probably okay. not racing. But like, probably just having to like, get from place to place and do certain things. I don't think it was very good. Oh. I don't think I played it much, which is why I don't remember it very well. But I that now pay attention, 007. Whenever he says that in one of these movies, I'm like, ah, yeah, that's that line. <laughs> what is this woman at the check-in desk wearing? I don't know. That weird, fr- <laughs> that weird like, like frill thing around her neck. It's almost like a lay. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> we meet Naomi here. She comes on a boat to pick him up, and we get some really bad Roger Moore lines about such lovely lines. Yeah, handsome craft. Handsome craft, such lovely lines. Oof. And again, I I just really like Roger Moore's fashion in these movies. Oh, that and jacket is great. I like this. Jacket. Yeah, like yeah. this outfit is also like other than the weird stri- the the weird thick striped shirt. His outfits have been on point. Mm-hmm. This jacket with the pinstripes and the blue tie, it looks great. Yeah. There's no way this man is 50 years old. No, definitely not. <laughs> he might not even be 49 here. <laughs> well, I don't know when, I don't know the order the sequence of the film. He might actually be 49 when this He is might shot. be not, yeah, I know. <laughs> but yes. Uh, I I don't care for the weird crocheted hat that Anya's wearing. No, I don't know what that is. That's just odd. Oh, look, more Sony. Okay, they must have been something, right? <laughs> I kept looking it up, and I could, the only things that kept coming up was the, the partnership later. But there had to have been. <laughs> Every movie, there's Sony. Every movie has... Was Sony the only company that made these things back then? No. I, no, it couldn't have been. And surely there, was, there were British electronics companies at the time. You would think. I was about to say, like, if it was American, it'd probably be like Zenith everything. Oh, yeah. Or JVC or RCA. C- continuing our trend of defunct technology. I used to have a Z- uh, My family used to have a Zenith VCR. Everyone had a Zenith. Mr. Futterman believed in Zenith. Goddamn foreign TV. Oh, no. I told you we should have got a Zenith. Although our, our family TV was a Montgomery Wards TV. Montgomery Wards. <laughs> Right now, or I'm falling. No, Monkey I'm... Wards, as my parents I... called it. Okay, mine too. <laughs> I was supposed to have been a Pennsylvania <laughs> thing. It must have been, yeah. Oh, I think Montgomery Wards was too. Oh, uh, yeah, it probably was. Wow. But... We're... We're... <laughs> 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 Jesus. So we have uh, larger than life fish again. We do. And, yeah. And I don't know, are they projections? Does he have fish tanks inside? The geography of this place makes no sense to me. Yeah. Uh, 
the the entire design of this place makes no sense to me. I mean, they have these giant holes in the floor with no railings, uh, and and more more tan plush to remind you that this is the seventies. I don't understand what, why they're meeting. Like because the the Bond's pretending. The Bond villain always wants to meet the. I mean, it's the traditional Bond pretending to be somebody else, and the villain is humoring him, even though he knows it's not. He's not Robert Sterling, the marine biologist. I think in this case, I I think he was doing this because remember he wants to have everyone who was involved killed so i yep. think in this case he was making sure these were the two on the train because he yeah, asked ps jaws yeah. yeah yeah but it's still odd and he could should have just killed him it's a little thing that bugs me and it's always bugged me is so right before bond goes up the elevator to meet stromberg naomi says he doesn't like to shake hands and immediately bond tries to shake his hand well that's just bond being a dick May maybe I mean, it took me multiple viewings and a higher resolution than the VHS for me to realize that Stromberg has webbed fingers. I did not pick up on that. Yeah. You can tell when he's doing stuff on the computer, you can see his webbing between his thumb and his forefinger. Oh, yeah. Now I'm looking at a shot of when he's, like, eating nuts. And yeah. Holding the... Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I had not noticed that, and I watched this on a projector screen <laughs> in 4K, and I didn't notice yeah. But oh well. I mean, they never call attention to it. It's just something that right. Yeah. I I'm not a big fan of Stromberg. I think he's just kind of there. Um, I don't it's I don't think great. he's in the movie enough. No. And and I'm, I'm I apologize. I keep comparing these two movies. I think Drax is a much better villain next week. Yeah. Um. Than than this guy. All right. So who's better, Stromberg or Largo? Because there's the obvious comparisons with the sharks and such. Yeah. I might even have to say Largo. Largo is involved more. He is. Possibly too much, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll talk more about him as we see more of what's going on here. Um, I question, again, you know, doing a lousy job of being secret. You know, let's put a model of our secret submarine swallowing ship out on display for the public to see. Or visitors to see, I guess, who come and come to over to our little thing. And how does the bow look weird? I mean, I that seems Bond says he needs to see the the, the bow more, but the bow when it's closed doesn't look odd to me. Well, there's like a weird flaring at the bottom of it, like right where the water line is. It kind of juts out mm. from the ship, which does look a little weird. Jaws is very bad at taking direction here, because uh, you know instead of killing them on atlantis which would make sense because the only people that know they went to atlantis were naomi and his people Mm -hmm. uh you know they let him go and he says as soon as they get ashore let them go ashore and kill them but we see them leaving the hotel in the lotus so i don't know if that's bad continuity or oh look there's another one of your vans back there um (laughs) i like this the way this thing escalates here where you get like the motorcycle with the weird fake sidecar bomb thing blowing up the mattress truck i like the feathers yeah i like the feathers uh, i like the line that you highlighted so you can say it uh <laughs> oh all those feathers and he still can't fly yes. yeah right 
I I kind of wish that they hadn't had him go over the cliff. I I I I wish that he had kept going and they had done more with that. Well, I don't know what he could do. I mean, I think he had like that bomb. That was yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then we get the car with with Jaws coming out here, and th- and then you get the helicopter with Naomi in it. I do like Jaws walking out of the farmhouse. Yes, gives a disgusted look to the guy that whose house he just wrecked, and then yeah wa- walks away. I like how I like how Naomi sort of waves. Uh, that's kind of clever, I guess. Yeah, and and then you get the Roger Moore like smirk that we get later in For Your Eyes Only when he's being chased by the guys in Greece. We get the payoff of the paint gun there that wrecks the car that we saw in Hughes Laboratory there, or whatever that is that sprays all over the car before it goes off the cliff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we we talked briefly about this too that I I am confused about. Um, Anya's kind of the audience surrogate in this moment here when Bond is about to drive off the pier. And she's obviously not digging this idea and gets looks nervous and kind of reacts as he drives off and let the car lands into the water, as you would do. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, she's kind of amazed as the car turns into a submarine, which is kind of cool. Um, but then... But then, like, later on we find out that she stole the blueprints of this car. So why was she surprised? So, this car, there's some things here. Uh-huh. Um, like, it feels like you would need to close those wheel wells before you got in the water. Otherwise, would the water <laughs> get into places? You would think, yeah. And what is the purpose of the grill over the windows? Yeah, I've always wondered that, too. Or where does it come from? That, too. Uh, but even beyond that, it's not there to protect the window from the water pressure because... I mean, there's gaps in it, so it mm-hmm. wouldn't do that. So I'm not really sure why the grill is there. Yeah, and it's it's not like there's going to be refraction off of the water that's going to cause you to lose visibility or anything, I wouldn't think. So No, I wouldn't. You know, you know like, a, like a sunglasses the, kind of thing. You know, where you, I mean, maybe when you're close it, to the surface. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's a weird thing that just kind of appears when they, and then disappears later. And disappears when they drive out, yeah. Yeah. I like how they use the windshield wipers as they're driving out. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I like the reactions of the people. The the guy that looks at his bottles, like, what am I drinking? Victor Trojanski. He shows up in the next three movies doing the exact same thing. <laughs> and the old guy who drops his pipe. Uh, the dog that freaks where out. Where does the fish come from? I, yeah, I don't know. Um, and I read that that was a Roger Moore idea. That he thought it would be a funny little gag to throw a fish out the window. But yeah, where does the fish come from? I don't know. Because if there was enough space for a fish to get in there, they would have been completely filled with water. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they do spring a leak at one point. Yeah, but not fish-sized. No, definitely not (laughs) fish-sized. But anyway, yeah, I I actually really... I mean, I'm I'm nitpicking because Mm. it's what I do. But yeah. <laughs> I, I actually really enjoy the underwater Lotus. I think it's a cool little scene. And it's it's the right kind of car for a submarine, I think. Like, this shape mm-hmm. works well. Like, I couldn't see... I don't, I don't know what an Aston Martin looked like in this era, but I struggle seeing an underwater Aston Martin. Or so, an underwater AMC. Yeah, that well, that would just sink. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or, a, or a BMW from the... Era. Oh, it was a bad decision too. <laughs> so yeah, they get and they get out. Um, and then we get the scene where, again, I'm going to be nitpicky here. I don't. 
I, I I don't feel like this moment is really earned where she figures out that he's the guy that killed her lover at the time. No. Like, oh, you have that's an interesting lighter, and how that turns into him confessing that he killed her boyfriend. Especially because this has no impact on the story whatsoever. None at all. I mean, you you get one cute little moment at the very end of the movie with a champagne bottle, and that's it. It could have been. It could have had much more. It would have had more impact if she had known from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think that he was the one that killed, and she had to like get past that from the beginning. Because Gogol said you have to work with him. Yeah. Yeah. So now we uh, they get sent to an American submarine. Uh, more scenes reminiscent of Jag. Um, yes. <laughs> and. I guess in the 70s, submarines had wood-paneled everything. <laughs> it seems that way. The 70s decor carried over into submarines. We get to see Shane Rimmer yet again. Here's the... As he's commander, uh, not captain, but... Which I find curious. I don't... I, I well, guess he has a rank that, of commander, but he is the captain. Right. And I think that was, that was something that happened where... Not every oh, yeah. submarine has a captain. Cap- that like still a, happens. Legit- oh, yeah, yeah. but And it's not a continuity thing where he says this is the captain because that's the title of the position he's in, not his rank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another something I originally learned in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, whoever's the commanding officer is called captain, regardless mm-hmm. of, of the rank. Um, we get some more 70s sexism where he convinces her to use the shower. Uh, Major, you're most welcome to use the shower in my quarters. You do not have to show me any special favors, Commander. All the same, I think it might be better if I did. And we get straight-up nudity. Yeah. Like, straight-up nudity. This is, I think this is the, this is the most, we've had like a split-second view when people are moving before. This is an actual, yep. like, shot, and we it calls attention to it and everything. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, this is the most overt nudity we have had in a Bond film. That wasn't randomly placed pinup shots on the wall, right? And wasn't yeah. the silhouettes in the, the over right. theme. I I do like the way the guy closes the door and he's like glancing to the side the whole time. Yes, but I think you know they could have closed that. Curtain. He, he could have closed the curtain a little bit. Yeah, you never seen I mean, a major taking a shower before, right? Well, I, since he's in the navy, he might not have. He might not have. No. <laughs> I always question the realism of these sets when they do submarine stuff because it's it's oh they look way more spacious than an actual submarine would be yeah and I'm I, I think John Kerkorian I was is, gonna say we should is, have had John on for this is, <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a mutual friend who did serve on a submarine so he would he would have things to say I would imagine about this stuff yeah so now we get this ship this sub gets the same thing that happened to the other sub yeah and I'm. At this point, I'm like, haven't we seen this movie before? <laughs> um, I mean, this is straight up right out of You Only Live Twice here. where Oh, yeah. Uh, you have... Complete with thing. the lair filled with soldiers. Yes. Yeah, I even wrote down this is secret volcano lair light here. Um, <laughs> but I like it because it's the first time we've had one of these shootouts between the army of good guys and the army of bad guys in a while. Yeah, because we didn't. Yeah, we didn't get any of that since uh, probably for you only live twice, really. Uh, we have it a bit with um, 
diamonds are forever in the uh, oh that's true and then we on the on in and we Baja. had it in on your majesty's secret service as well with the assault oh on yeah the what am i talking about Shelley. yeah of course we, but the course last two more movies we haven't had it right that yeah what am i talking about <laughs> so here's a question for you now that that i don't quite get um sure so we find out because of monologuing in a few minutes that stromberg's entire plot here is we're going to send out this these two submarines and they're going to attack new york and moscow and it's going to trigger world war three and the human race is going to wipe itself out so we can rebuild humanity underwater but wouldn't the ocean also be irradiated well there's that problem yeah my my, my question is much more basic why are they taking why are they eating this other submarine they don't to get need the Americans it. They, involved? they don't need it. Oh, to to make sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know. For I the mean, plot. There, there, there's no. I mean, other than to get Bond on the tanker. Yeah, that's the only reason. Yeah. I think the limpet microphone is a clever thing. I don't know if it's a real thing, but I think it's clever to stick this thing on, so you have essentially the entire submarine becomes a amplifier. I mean, the concept makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And as soon as you said that limpet microphone, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I know yeah. what a limpet mine is. Right. So. Yeah, we get lots of monologuing here from Stromberg. Bond uh, and Anya try to hide very poorly. Yes. And obviously Stromberg finds them. Well, we're going to try to hide Anya by having her put on a hat and hide here in her Russian uniform with a whole bunch of American sailors. And Bond is wearing in, in, in his British, British naval uniform. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, but Stromberg monologues, and then he escape. He leaves with Anya in his jet boat. Yeah, and this is okay. I hate this. Okay. The, re the reason I hate this is because we've had an hour and a half of movie where we've essentially had these two equals working together. Right, and now they're and not. the last act of the movie, she's a damsel in distress. Yeah. That Bond has to go. No, I agree. I agree with you on that. But she is still so much better than any female lead we have seen in the 70s yet. Yes. I mean... So, you know, baby steps, I guess? Yeah, she's she's smart. She is good at her job. She's constantly... And unfortunately, she's in this movie, she's put into situations where Bond has to, to step in to help a lot of the time. At least once they start working together. Yeah, well, at least she also saves his life at one point, though. She so. does, yeah. No, no, she absolutely does. But yeah, I just, I, I really, it's disappointing the way they, they handled the last act of this movie, I think. Yeah, so the ship also has a freaking monorail because it has to be even more like the twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like how Bond frees the submarine crews and we have yeah. a pitch battle. I like that. I like a lot of this stuff at the end. I just think it takes way too long. Mm -hmm. Again, another nod maybe to You Only Live Twice. We have vertical blinds instead of the shutters this time that they close to hide the control room. Uh, yeah, that's also... Oh, jeez, they really did just... I The monorail is like the monorail, only the 70s version of the monorail with like a sports car thing instead of that little sphere yeah. thing. Uh, the sphere yeah. was cooler. Yeah, you get this long shootout thing. I like when they have to go and dismantle the atomic weapon. And my favorite line is when they're 
taking the the cone off the front and the guy says this is going to take hours and Shane Rimmer just says you got a date no sir (laughs) (laughs) and the tension of Bond having to pull it out without touching the sides Mm -hmm. which works I think yeah it does you know know he's not going to blow them up but it's and I, I like how he uses the little camera ball to deliver the bomb yeah, and I, I like how, you know, he gets on the camera ball and they start playing the Bond theme and the minute he unplugs the cameras, the Bond theme stops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. And the tension of the thing getting stuck and Bond thinking he might get exploded. So then when he breaks in, when they break into the control room and Bond has the idea to have the submarines shoot each other, mm-hmm. uh, which, okay, good. Yeah. You'd think those guys would need to confirm orders for changing targets, you would think, unless... I mean, it's a trope Yeah. where no one else could possibly be sending us these these orders, so... So, the globe shows missile yeah. trajectories. Uh-huh. But it shows them as if we're looking at the sides of the submarines. Right. Because <laughs> those missiles would not actually go that far north to come back down <laughs> south. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> I feel like we're watching that old game where you have to like you have a tank and you have to aim like a certain angle and certain battle zone. power no not not battle zone but you you would have these mountains and things in the way and you have to to be able to shoot a certain angle up in the air and how much power you're going to do and you had to hit the other target oh yeah 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 that, okay. that's kind of what this right. reminds me of yeah battle zone you didn't have to worry about angles no and then the boat just starts exploding yeah, for reasons. Um, well, no, no, no. It, it starts exploding because they were told they had to fire... The The submarine was told they had to, to sink the ship. Oh, no, no. That's Atlantis, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because they're in the ship. No, the tanker just starts exploding. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like a self-destruct or anything. Or if it is, it's a very slow, methodical self-destruct. Well, you'd think it was a self-destruct, it would be all at once. But this just just has random explosions happening which mean they have to get off the ship really quickly it's convenient that when they blew the hole in the ship it had the exact it was exactly the right size for the side fins of the submarine yeah. tower to <laughs> yes, get through. i know right <laughs> and we have some bad rear projection when bond and the captain come back up on up to look at the ship blow up oh i mean that's a classic thing in film though bad rear projection on top of a submarine like oh yeah go go watch hunt for red october mm-hmm I want to know how there's room for all of those sailors on one submarine. That is an excellent... Well, some of them died, but yes. Some, a lot of them did die, that's true, but still. So yeah, then they come to Atlantis and... Bond gets a jet ski delivered from Q, somehow. It's a very 70s jet ski. Well, I think it was like one of the first ones. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And Bond gets manages not to die in the elevator because he somehow knew that it was going to trapdoor him. Yeah. I like the gun under the table. That gun, was nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think Stromberg could have telegraphed that he was going to fire something at him any more than he does. Yeah, and then Bond does the same, just shoots back up the tube. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Yep. It, it's, it's a good thing he managed to aim exactly right to do that, and it didn't, you know, hit the side of the tube or anything. <laughs> yeah. He had the exact right angle for it to go the whole way up the tube. Uh-huh. This is this is pretty brutal what happens to Stromberg here. Oh yeah. I mean he he takes what four shots? Oh yeah, Bond is not pulling his punches. No. 
you shot your bolt, Stromberg. And we naturally have a fight with Jaws. Bond thinks he's beaten Jaws. I do like the magnet. That was a nice touch. Yeah, the magnet's good. And Jaws just eats the shark. But they get off in the very fancy escape pod. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yes, the white cushion version of the of the escape last movie. Right. And I do like, he says, maybe I misjudged Stromberg. Anyone who drinks a Dom Perignon 52 can't be all bad. Right. Yeah. That's a good line. <laughs> it's not a it's not a Bond movie unless he's a drink snob at some And point. then Anya goes from almost killing Bond to sleeping with him because... Because he popped Bond. a champagne cork. Yeah. And, of course... Double seven. Triple X. Bond, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Yeah, that's right. One of the classic... It's convenient that it has curtains. Yes. And then we get, yeah, like, a show tunes, like, kind of like, just like, male chorus version of Nobody Does It Better for some reason. Yeah, for like ten seconds. Yeah, and then it switches back over to Carly Simon. It, right. It's like, <laughs> why? Why was that there? Weirdly, I find it that it fits, though. But, I don't know. I, I don't mind it so much. And then it says, James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. Which is technically not <laughs> wrong. No. He will. But he'll Eventually. return in Moonraker first. Yes, he will. Yeah, this one they didn't bother to fix after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they only did Moonraker because Star Wars. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll talk about that more next week, but yeah, yeah, Star Wars came out in 77 and was huge, so like, oh, we gotta do Bond in space. They certainly do. It was Roger Moore's top grossing Bond film. Yeah. So it apparently worked. And I do like it a lot, so... I do too. I mean, it's ridiculous, but I like it. Uh, so, do you have anything more to say about The Spy Who Loved Me? I, I think it's a it's it's absolutely far better than the previous Roger Moore films we've been getting. Oh, yeah. Um, this I, is where you see how good Moore can be in his with his particular flavor of Bond. Yeah, and I wish we'd had that in the last two movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was hard on some of the, the tonal inconsistencies and stuff, and, and especially the way they handle the end of the movie as far as, you know, Major Masova goes where, you know, Bond has to go and rescue her, and she really sits out mm -hmm. a big chunk of the movie, which is unfortunate, because I think it would have been a lot more interesting to see her with Bond doing stuff back on the tanker. Uh, yes. You know, Shane Rimmer kind of takes over her role in a weird way, actually. Uh, and I like Shane Rimmer, but I'd rather have seen, you know, Barbara Bach doing that. And... I think that the biggest, my biggest gripe with the movie is that I think the the plot, the, the villain part of it just doesn't work for me as well. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, he, he's, Stromberg is basically just there. Yeah. You don't really get a sense of anything from him. No, like, I mean, why is he doing what he's doing? I mean, we are, we are in the I'm out to destroy the world phase of Bond movies. But uh, he's just—he—he's there for plot reasons rather than as an act. He's not a character. He's just a plot device more than anything else. I'd say. Yeah, I think so. He's 
mostly useless. And I, I agree that uh, we'll get a better villain next week. And the same plot, more or less. More or less. All right. Well, thank you for listening to us this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at Podspiel. Or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Listening to Film. All right. Well, that's it for The Spy Who Loved Me. License to Spiel will return in Moonraker. Hope you enjoyed the show. Good night.